This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Mississippi's home to so much interesting wildlife, it's sometimes hard to keep up all, all the creatures that call it home. Today, Matt Roberts, research coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, is here to introduce us to a little-known catfish called the Mad Tom Catfish. We'll also talk about other fish of Mississippi, and Dr. Major is here ready for your pet questions. To join our conversation this morning, just give us a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can email the show as well. It's animals at mpbonline.org. Always like to remind you uh, that if you miss part of the broadcast on Thursday mornings, it repeats every Saturday morning at 6. So good morning to everyone. Hope they're all doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So um, first of all, uh, Java, our producer, tells me that a, a shout-out is in order to a friend of the program, Tom Mann. We talked about frogs yesterday, and apparently uh, Tom has last been... Last week. Uh, yesterday, <laughs> jeez. Last Just week. yesterday. <laughs> uh, and so uh, he sent us in some uh, pictures of uh, frogs, so we certainly appreciate that. And, you know, if you're ever out and about uh, and need to have something identified, certainly a a picture helps, but if you just like to share with us uh, what you're seeing when you go out in the state of Mississippi, we always love to get your pictures. Uh, reminder of the email, it's animals at mpbonline.org. So, Libby, you mentioned you've got a number of events that you want to talk about. Well, let's, yes, uh, just reminders, there's summer camps going on for young people, of course, all around the state on lots of topics, and there are some great ones that deal with animals. Uh, the Museum of Natural Science, I think there are a few openings left in some of their camps, so if you want to get in touch with them. Uh, Millsaps has that uh, whole series of things for adults and kids that go on through the summer, and there's one good camp for, about birds that, um, you know, uh, Chris King has talked about that on the air. Evidently, there's still room for some kids in that, and Clinton Community Nature Center has uh, some camps events going on and there's probably more but those three have gotten in touch with me and then let's see tomorrow is friday and evidently it's a big day for events all over the state uh the uh, museum of natural science here in jackson from 10 to 12 on friday june the 15th has got activities that uh, relate to the animals in ripley's believe it or not Mm -hmm. exhibit that they've got so that's probably going to be a fun one to deal with and then down at the Pascagoula River Audubon Center you know Aaron was on not long ago talking about their things I wish I was closer June 15th tomorrow night from 5 to 7 is a sunset boat ride on the Pascagoula River which Mm -hmm. sounds pretty good and then the next day on Saturday if you're not into doing that uh River trip in the evening, then um, Saturday morning early from 7 to 9, they've got a photography boating trip. Mm. And then at 1 o'clock tomorrow, again at the Pascagoula River uh, Audubon Center, it's there in Moss Point, uh, there's a presentation about uh, the Traveling Smithsonian Project Waterways. So that's going to be good. And then next Thursday on June the 21st, 
Birds and Brews, and that's, again, kind of an evening thing. Yeah, it all fits together, doesn't it? From 4 o'clock to 7 o'clock. Do you feed the birds the brews there? Or? I think the brews are for the humans, and the birds are to enjoy, and there's going to be lots of other things going on, campfire activities, so it's, it's a family-friendly. And then up in Strawberry Plains, so let's hit North Mississippi. Uh, they're saying that on June the 16th, which, let's see, that's also Saturday, Saturday. isn't it? Um, here and now in nature from 8 to 10 in the morning. So that's a nice. It seems like people are avoiding the heat of the day for these events, <laughs> right? You get out there in the morning or you do something in the evening. And then Clinton Nature Center, uh, Nature Nuts for preschoolers, the little bitty, <laughs> little acorn-sized nuts, <laughs> I guess. And that is from um, rain or shine from 10 to 12 that day and let's see I don't think I gave a time for the fun Friday that's also 10 to 12 in the day and uh, most of these it sounds like are rain or shine okay and always if you need more information uh, Google search will probably uh, help you out there Uh, also I'll point out that uh, the next visit I'm going to visit my brother in uh, Pensacola in July and we are planning a side trip uh, to Pascagoula uh, to Moss Point, that is, uh, to take the oh, uh, the river cruise. So I'll be able to report on that. So it uh, sounds like it'll be a really fun time. So uh, we're also we're looking for things to do in Mobile uh, on the way back because that's the weekend uh, the Blue Angels perform on Pensacola Beach. And uh, if you are any trying to get on the island any time uh, near that performance, you're pretty much stuck on the bridge. So oh, yes. uh, we, Now, what weekend is that? That is going to be July 13th and 14th. I think 14th is okay. a Saturday. Uh, but we, like I said, we were uh, always like to do some things down there, a little side trip. So that's the one that we thought about trying to do. So we'll uh, do that. And then we found uh, the Mobile actually has a museum of uh, sports-related art. So we're going to check that out as well. So Ooh, I'll be at Moss Point there next weekend. Okay. So we'll. But yeah, I'll, I'm really looking forward to that. So I'll be able to report back on on that uh, the Pascagoula River cruise uh, when that happens uh, mm-hmm. later in July. We've got some early calls on the line, so why don't we start out by going to the phone lines and saying good morning to Frank in Jackson. Frank, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Good morning, guys. Hi. You're missing out on a beautiful, cool morning. Uh, yeah, it's hard to be inside, but you know this is the only cool, pretty part of the day, possibly. Okay, a long story. Uh, about two years ago, I called into this program saying that my cats were not drinking water. I was giving them dry food, and I was concerned that they weren't drinking enough water, I thought. So I uh, did what was recommended, just mix a little uh, uh, cat stuff in their water, see if they drink it. Well, that didn't do any good. Last Christmas, my son said, Dad, your cats are huge. They're just fat. (laughs) And I looked at them for the first time, and they were huge. (laughs) (laughs) So I decided to switch to a a dry uh, a wet food as opposed to a dry food. Lo and behold, they're still drinking very little water, but they are urinating quite a bit uh, like by monitoring their their cat their, their cat litter, and they're losing weight. So um, anybody who has any concern for their cat, stay away from the dry food as much as possible. I give them some dry food so they get the uh, the crunch that they would normally get from bones to keep their teeth clean. But that wet food is over and beyond um, 
what the dry food does. And I've gotten gotten it so that you only get three meals a day and one one five-ounce can of cat food between the two of them. And they're happy, and uh, they're losing weight. And I want to thank MPB for uh, giving me the idea of maybe they need some wet cat food. <laughs> All right, Frank, uh, thanks for the call. Good to hear from you. Uh, any thoughts, Dr. Major? I think it's great to have our cats where they'll eat both wet and dry food. Uh, the <laughs> It depends on the food that he was feeding, and I can't remember remember back that far, obviously, but still look at the fat content. Most of our cat foods are higher in fat and calories than than our dog foods would be. And if you leave food out all the time, they're going to munch, and a lot of people do like to keep the food bowl full. That's not to say that every cat that grazes or munches all day long is going to get fat, but a lot of them will get overweight. If you've got three cats and you leave the food out, you're going to have one that's going to be obese, <laughs> I would say. But it's an interesting story. And uh, uh, cats, uh, you can get into this, cats are somewhat a desert uh, background, and they don't probably consume as much water. But by feeding wet food, that's one way to get more moisture in their uh, diet. And these cats may have had a secondary source of uh, water also that he's not aware of. Uh, some some of our dogs and cats drink out of the toilet, so <laughs> there may be some water that we don't know about that they were getting. So thank you for the call. That was an interesting story. But I will say, though, I would agree that my cat is probably a stealth uh, drinker as well because <laughs> I don't ever, you know, he frequently runs to the bowl to eat, and I don't see him drink that often. But it's not just evaporation that is causing the water in the bowl to disappear. So uh, I think he gets it uh, when he can. And um, he certainly, though, knows uh, knows how to eat, that's for right. sure. Right, and he, he will assure you from the litter box that he is taking in plenty of water, I'm sure. <laughs> A uh, quick thought before we uh, turn to um, Matt Roberts. Um, a few days ago, the Internet was abuzz about the daredevil raccoon that climbed a Minnesota skyscraper. Uh, I think it got to maybe most of the way up there. They finally got it to the roof, uh, and it's now been released into the wild. Uh, any thoughts as to why a raccoon would want to try to climb a 25-story building? Anybody can answer that one. <laughs> you know, I, I, I got the feeling that I don't know what made him start climbing, but once he got climbing, it must have seemed easier to keep going up than down. <laughs> and I can't I just wonder at what point did he regret this and not be able to get out. Yeah. Well, he looked a little scruffy uh, on the video, and uh, he may have thought there was some bird nest up on top of the roof. I don't know, <laughs> on the ledges, but uh, I think he has a GoFundMe page now. Hmm. And uh, he's, <laughs> he's a celebrity, <laughs> or he, she. I don't know she, whether they yeah, determined. Yeah, we need to figure that out. Right, right determined. So Everybody f- said it was a boy because they're kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> As I mentioned, our guest today, Matt Roberts, research coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Matt, uh, Matt, glad to have you back on the air with us. Yeah, great to be here. You know, I feel like it's been it's been a while since I've got an opportunity to sit down at this table and. And talk to folks, so it feels good. Um, if you would remind us a little bit about your background and, and sort of what sorts of things you do as a research coordinator. Well, my, my training is actually in fish biology, uh, Hale State, Mississippi <laughs> State Graduate <laughs> uh, I'm now uh, started off as, as fish biologist for the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. 
and uh, was blessed to uh, travel the state from from the coast up to the Tennessee border, uh, working in streams and surveying Mississippi fishes. And uh, these days, I'm I'm research coordinator at the museum, and uh, I guess uh, behind sort of behind the scenes at the museum. Um, behind the the exhibits and and education programs that we do is a team of research scientists and uh, at a at a fundamental level they are are charged with documenting what lives where in the state of mississippi and and also uh, studying the interactions that these plants and animals have between themselves and the physical environment and and us as people too and ultimately, the the museum is charged with getting that information um, out to the public, uh, to landowners, whether that be our our public uh, landowners or private landowners too, and uh, allowing that that information to serve in in management decisions on on property. Also, I think it's a good to point out that uh, you know we talk a lot about the uh, events that go on at the museum, and it's always fun, but. Uh, I guess for maybe for parents that that might be concerned or interested to know, anytime you take your kids to something going on at the museum, it's backed by research from scientists. So uh, you know you're getting good information. And again, the secret I think to the success of the museum is uh, teaching kids about uh, natural science, but having a lot of fun along the way. We need to take a quick break. When we get back, we will begin our discussion on the Mad Tom catfish. Uh, Matt is a, a fish expert in general as well, so if you have any other fish-related questions, you can call in. Also, Dr. Major here, ready to take some pet questions. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more after this. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Today, we're also visiting with Matt Roberts, Research Coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Matt is our resident fish expert today, and we're specifically going to talk about a a little-known type of catfish called the Mad Tom catfish. So, Matt, let's start at how many different uh, species of catfish are found in Mississippi? Well, in total, 17. Oh, wow. Which is a number that tends to surprise folks. Yeah. we have what I call the big three, channel catfish, blue catfish, flathead catfish. And and these are the ones I think that we most commonly encounter. Uh, they're, they're caught uh, recreationally and commercially. Um, and, and so th- these are the ones that, that we typically, um, um, that they come to mind first. And uh, then we have uh, a set of species known as the bullhead catfishes. Um, I kind of put them at, at, at a lower tier of, of popularity than the big three. Uh, they're also caught hook and line and, and sometimes commercially as well. Uh, but I think generally less palatable 
um, they are hard fighters recreationally. So um, in terms of just angling for support, I, I think they're popular. Um, but in terms of um, – I want to back up for a second and, and just talk about catfish in general. Mm-hmm. Um, the catfish is – they're certainly part of our natural heritage here in Mississippi. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's a, a stream, a pond, a slough, <laughs> swamp that you won't find a catfish in. Uh, but I, I don't know. What do y'all think? It, I think maybe catfish have a place in a conversation about Mississippi's larger culture. And we certainly, like I said, love to pursue them recreationally, commercially. Mississippi is a recognized leader in catfish aquaculture. Uh, I know over the years I've certainly enjoyed stopping at catfish houses throughout the state <laughs> to eat some good catfish. Yeah. I mean, top to bottom. Mm-hmm. William Faulkner wrote about catfish and catfish houses. You know, here in the city of Jackson at, at New Year's, we we drop a constructed catfish <laughs> instead of a ball. You know, so I, I think catfish, you know, catfish are, are important to our identity here in Mississippi. I don't think that's actually an overstatement. It sounds kind of silly, but it seems to be true. And, uh, you know, for folks that are interested, when we're talking about Mississippi waters, um, there's more going on with catfish uh, below the surface than just those big three and the bullheads. Uh, in fact, uh, as I said, there's 17 known species of catfish in Mississippi. And the majority of those are what we know as the Mad Tom catfishes. Um, and, and these are, are diminutive uh, creatures. They're small. Um, so the truth is they don't they don't wind up uh, on the end of our fishing lines that often. Uh, and so I, I think we're just less aware of them. Um, but, but as I said, they make up the majority of our catfish fauna in the state, um, found uh, primarily in our creeks and rivers. Uh, there is not a, a river drainage in the state that you will not find a mad tom catfish in um they are small but but as i said they kind of they they range in size uh the largest um being the stone cat okay so there are several species of, of these mad toms and the stone cat uh tops out at a whopping seven inches <laughs> uh the smallest being the uh, appropriately named least mad tom at about two and a half inches. Wow. So w- within That's this a group, full grown. yes, That's a full grown adult, yeah. right. And you know, sometimes uh, they, they do wind up uh, being caught, whether in a, a net or, or at the end of your fishing line. Uh, and a lot of folks assume they are baby catfish, mm-hmm. um, but these are actually full grown adults. So, um, the uh, the big three you mentioned are the, are are all the catfish edible or which are the ones that are used in in aquaculture that we as you mentioned I, I agree with you love going to a catfish house what type of catfish do we usually end up on our plate primarily the channel catfish mm-hmm. um, followed by the the blue catfish and the flathead but I, I would say if you stop at a catfish house 
it's a channel catfish that is on your plate. All right, so we're talking about the, the Mad Tom, and you mentioned that they're they're small. Um, how did they get their name? Well, I looked into that a little bit. Um, uh, the folk, uh, kind of the folk tale that goes along with it uh, has to do with um, uh, what, what we perceive as a sting uh, that these uh, catfishes can inflict uh, when they're handled. Now, the truth is that... Um, most catfishes um, have this sting, so to speak. Um, catfishes are equipped, uh, for folks who've handled them before, uh, equipped with spines on certain fins on their body. Um, the uh, What we call the pectoral fins, which is that first set of paired fins uh, that you encounter if you're, you're coming back from the head, that first set of paired fins. And then on the dorsal fin, which is the, the single fin on the top of the fish, these spines. And, and all of our catfishes here in Mississippi have those. Um, a recent study uh, out of the University of Michigan um, found that uh, most of our catfishes here in Mississippi actually do have uh, venom glands associated with these spines. Um, but in addition to the, the physical trauma that comes with being stuck potentially by one of these fins cause uh, pain as well. Now, the, the mad tom catfishes, um, uh, it seems that we perceive the, the pain from their sting to be greater. And, and also, I, I, I think it's, a, yes. <laughs> yeah, speaking from experience, <laughs> yes, it's yes. true. But also, they're, they're small and I think most of us that grew up catfishing know that when, when you land a, a channel cat or a blue or a flathead um, up to a certain size, you know, you can, you can take your middle finger and your index finger and, and place it between one of the pectoral fins and your thumb under the other and, and handle the catfish safely. But the mad toms are so small that this can't be done. And it's just easier to get stuck. <laughs> but it is. It, it, it's initially uh, kind of like a, a bee sting or a wasp sting. Uh, it kind of starts to throb. And, and then uh, maybe mercifully it goes numb after a little. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, could the fact that they have that venom be related to their size? I mean, obviously, if it's a small creature, they really want to have something to ward off potential prey. Yeah, a number of studies have, have been done to uh, try to get at uh, what you know what the purpose uh, of these spines and the associated venom is, and, and there is some evidence to show um, that it deters uh, predators um, from ingesting you know the, these smaller catfishes. We are visiting today on Creature Comforts with Matt Roberts, Research Coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. We're talking about catfish today, fish in general. Dr. Major here, ready to take some pet questions as well. The phone lines are open, so give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can email the show. It's animals at mpbonline.org. So if uh, you said that, you know, they're, they're pretty prevalent in Mississippi, why do you think that they're not as well known as maybe as some of the other catfish species? I think it goes back to uh, the fact that we just don't encounter them that often. Um, 
you know, with with the big three and the bullheads, we we as I said, uh, you know, like to uh, chase after them recreationally, and uh, you know they play a part in our commercial economy as well. And um, the Mad Toms, uh, because of of their size, their small size, you know, you just you don't get a fillet <laughs> off of a Mad Tom, and, and we we just can't say how how they taste, you know. But, um, I, I think what um, you know, we enjoy pursuing them and 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 consuming the larger catfishes, and and we just don't have that with the mad toms. That said, um, I think they're still an important part of our our natural heritage. I mean, they're out there um, in the ecosystems that they inhabit, and they're, they're playing a role. Um, even though they do have defenses, they are an important food item for our larger fishes that we enjoy catching. Um, and they're out there uh, um, eating uh, insects and influencing these these systems. Um, and, and these interactions kind of result in, in the function of these rivers and streams that, that we appreciate in the state. Some so, of the coolest names, uh, I guess my favorite has to be Freckle Belly Mad Toms. That's <laughs> a favorite really of great. mine, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. And I was thinking about um, uh, the piebald Mad Tom. Uh, yeah. Um, so uh, that word piebald, um, my grandparents were, were horse folks. Oh, they yes. raised horses. Yeah. And, you had um, piebald horses? Yeah. You know, they, they started off raising quarter horses, and then they also raised Shetland ponies. Okay. And, and so uh, we called them paint horses, but there were, were some that had a mix of brown and white and some that had a mix of black and white. And, and I learned, you know, that the brown and white were referred to as scubald <laughs> and the black and white were referred to as piebald. And so we have a piebald mad tom in the state. And, um, you know, if can catfishes be pretty? I, oh, I think so. I, I kind of think so. I think mad toms are very pretty. Um, this one is pretty to me. Uh, it's got these. It, it's got um, not too much different from a, a Holstein cow, really, but these these black and white alternating um, areas that, that just really contrast. And actually, it's a, the white areas has even got a little bit of a gold tint if you care enough to. So you know, really be checking these things out, which apparently I do. Yeah. Getting, it's a little weird. Without getting stuck. <laughs> <laughs> but handle with care. And, and uh, the, the piebald is actually um, one of our rarer uh, mad toms encountered very infrequently in, in the surveys that we conduct um, throughout the state. Um, it, it's a resident of uh, starting up north uh, in, in the Hatchie uh, river system, um, and, and going over west to the cold water and then down to the big black. That's when you always wanted a mason jar. If you, when you pull up the net <laughs> and you're seeing everything you can pick through, you just have to kind of be careful pulling through the trash that you don't grab a mad tom, but then you <laughs> stick him in a jar. He's really fun to, yeah, yeah. To watch. And, um, so, um, uh, the Latin name on that one. Um, so the Mad Toms belong to the genus Noturus. But for the piebald, uh, it, its name is Noturus gladiator. <laughs> and, and when you see them, they've got the, you know, I talked about the pectoral fins. 
in, in that area of their body is referred to as the pectoral girdle. And they've just got these shoulders, you know, shoulders like a Mississippi State linebacker, <laughs> you know. They're, they're a really robust fish, really neat to see. Um, if, if you're of a mind, Google piebald mad tom. Check them out. Which I just did. Uh, and you you're right. The they're very attractive. And you, yeah. you do look like they have a little bit of that gold uh, tint that you were talking about. Uh, we need to take another break. When we get back, we'll continue visiting with Matt Roberts, research coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, and our resident fish expert this morning. Dr. Major here, ready to take some pet questions. Our phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 You can also send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. We'll be back with more of the show after this. If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield is retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're talking fish, specifically catfish today, with Matt Roberts, research coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. So if you'd like to join our conversation, the phone call is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464. You can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. In fact, we do have an email here for Dr. Major. It says, my cat is scared of going to the vet to the point that he ends up going feral. He's an inside cat and is good at home. Is there anything that I could do to help ease his anxiety about trips to the vet? Well, (laughs) we do see some cats that are like that. And there, there are some medications that could be given uh, prior to the trip to the vet, which would help without just, you know, sedating the cat completely. Uh, there's some that can be sprinkled on the food that might work. Uh, Zilkeen is the name of one of them. Uh, and some people actually use uh, gabapentin, uh, which is neurotin uh, for some of the cats to kind of calm them. So that does help some. Some cats never get over that and uh, will go completely feral. I always, and I, I've got scars to attest, <laughs> that uh, be careful sticking your hand into a crate uh, when you don't know exactly what the cat is going to do. And I do recommend, though, that you always bring the cat into a clinic in a carrier uh, contained because if there happens to be a dog there or something else spooks the cat, your cat might get away, and uh, it's very important to have a safe container for the cat. But uh, talk to your vet and see if there's something that might be able to be given to the cat prior to the trip. All right. Very good. we got a caller on the line, so we will welcome uh, Sue from Beaumont into the conversation. Good morning, Sue. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I'd like to ask, I'd like to make a comment, then I want to ask a question. Now, I was wondering if... Maybe the Mad Tom was named after the first guy named Thomas. He tried to handle one of those little guys and got stung by a barb. <laughs> it's a likely wonder, story. Do, do catfish lay eggs or do they bear live young? Because I, I saw something on National Geographic years ago and I, about some catfish species in the in the Amazon who lays live who has live young. So I just wondered about that. Okay, so I, I can speak to our Mississippi catfish. Um, 
Mississippi catfishes uh, lay eggs. And uh, the majority of our species uh, construct a nest. Um, maybe most well-known, um, the big three um, well, flathead catfish primarily are, are cavity nesters. And uh, in which they they tend to find uh, a crevice um, to get back in and build the nest where they can defend it, and um, this uh, behavior is kind of uh, um, it's known and uh, it's actually developed uh, into a bit of a sport. We hand grab for fish in Mississippi. We have a, a legitimate hand grabbing season that's coordinated by Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Uh, where where fishermen uh, will actually go in and reach into these crevices, um, and and reach into the the mouth of some of these large flathead catfish and 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 extract them from the crevice. <laughs> uh, but um, the mad toms, uh, in general, uh, they they like to spawn and and build their nests over um, a, a clean uh, gravel substrate or in, in woody debris. And uh, it, it, it's one of our challenges here in Mississippi that, uh, you know, over time a lot of our, our clean gravel bottoms have, have, have gotten silted over. And uh, that creates a problem for our, our mad tom catfishes in, in rearing their, their young. So that's an issue that we work with with that group. Okay. Sue, thanks for your call. And uh, is it noodling in that what the catfish grabbing is called? Yeah, I've, I've heard it go by that. Um, yeah, hand grabbing. Hand grabbing, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had noodles on here. Yeah, we, yeah. We're kind yeah. of working to get another one, actually. No, no, noodling is a Midwestern term. Okay. Oh. In my opinion. All right. It's hand grabbing here. <laughs> hand grabbing. Okay. All right. <laughs> and I remember from when we did have our guests on there, it's considered bad form to have any sort of glove or what. I mean, you're supposed to just reach <laughs> your bare hand down in there, I think, if I remember correctly. Well, most catfishes don't have teeth as we think about them but uh yeah at, at, at the at the base of uh, the lips we'll say um are kind of rasping structures they can be a little bit rough uh, <laughs> and they can close the them with a lot of force yeah right? yeah absolutely and in part that's what allows the uh the hand grabber to to extract the catfish from the crevice is that that catfish will clamp down on your arm <laughs> using your hand as bait that's interesting uh and my you know my thought too on the name was i was wondering if it was tom got stung so he was mad or the stung drive drove tom mad and so who knows but uh, uh we got another caller on the line uh so we say good morning to jesse from brandon good morning jesse you're on the air go ahead please Good morning. Uh, this is a two-part question. First, um, I've been thinking about actually trying to get a pet skunk, oddly enough, and I was wondering, can you legally own one in the state of Mississippi? And two, if you can, um, do you just take it to a general vet to get the zinc uh, gland removed, or how do I go about that? I guess the first question I have is, why do you want a pet skunk? Uh, they're pretty nocturnal, and... Uh, they are not real, uh, what should I say, they don't like the daylight as much as you might think they will. On the other hand, if you're determined to do it, yes, you can own a pet skunk. Uh, they are actually uh, sold uh, through places that raise the skunks. Uh, as a vet, I would not have the skunk in my clinic to descent. 
<laughs> you may find a vet somewhere that will do that, but there's always an issue of what do you do after you get skunked, if you will. Mm-hmm. So uh, think about it. Uh, certainly before you do it, I would not suggest catching wild skunks here. That could be a be a problem. And uh, I would defer to our fishing game uh, experts to say anything about that. But uh, it's like other wild animals, if uh, as I understand it, if you have a fishing, uh, hunting and fishing license, uh, you can take uh, certain animals. If that's, that may, may be incorrect, and that's the reason I'm deferring. Well, what I, I always uh, – I'm going to defer a little bit too, but I'm, <laughs> I'm going to um, advise folks to uh, – Call the museum. Um, ask for uh, Scott Payton. Uh, he Scott does our uh, our permitting for uh, um, rehabilitating and, and caring uh, as a as a private individual for wild creatures. So yeah. call the museum. Ask that for would be Scott good. Payton. Uh, in my opinion, based on skunks that I've seen in the past that people have had as pets. They aren't quite what you might expect uh, from from a pet. Uh, and I took care of one one time when I was in vet school for somebody that had one. And they're pretty generally nocturnal. They don't do a lot in the daytime. Uh, so think about it, study it, and know what you're getting into if you get one. All right. Uh, thanks for the call, Jesse. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We've got some open phone lines ready for your calls this morning as we talk about fish, catfish specifically, and look for your pet questions for Dr. Major. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. So, Matt, we've been talking about the, the Mad Tom catfish sort of being on the very small end of the size scale. Uh, but if I'm not mistaken, some of our other species of catfish can get to be somewhat large. Talk about maybe some the su- size of some of the larger catfish. I would say out of out of the big three, uh, our largest would be the flathead catfish and, and the blue catfish. Um, and and these uh, they both have slightly different biologies, ecologies. So we approach catching them a little bit differently. Um, but, uh, I know the flathead catfish can reach, uh, weights of over, uh, 200 pounds. Wow. Um, th- these fishes are, are long lived and, and can reach, uh, reach pretty gargantuan sizes. That, that would be an interesting, uh, uh, battle for an angler. I would think trying to land a 200 pound fish or a hand grabber. <laughs> the, the large ones that we have in the museum are nearly always blue cats, aren't they? Correct, and and catfish channel catfishes can get get some size too. Maybe um, uh, I think I've seen them up to at least uh, fifty pounds, and I wouldn't be surprised if they can go heavier than that. You know, we used to really have some iconic. That in fact, there were catfish that got fan mail at the museum there for years. The, <laughs> right, the and big white yeah, cats. Yeah, we yeah. had uh, Lucy. She Lucy. was named uh, yeah. Lucy. Was um, a leucistic. Uh, yes. catfish yeah. so lacked pigment and yeah. and was a favorite at the museum yeah. there was also yeah. the urban myth that there was a catfish in the reservoir that was about as big as a VW Volkswagen <laughs> and it's still out there right? yeah. I think it's still out there because I haven't seen it be caught I yeah. tell you it, it doesn't matter where I've traveled <laughs> the story of the diver that goes down and sees 
catfish bigger than a car and <laughs> makes a beeline for the surface. That, that story is pretty ubiquitous. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's take one final break this hour. We'll be back to wrap up Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Today we're visiting with Matt Roberts, Research Coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, and our catfish and fish expert for the day. We'll wrap up the show after this last break. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We've been talking fish, specifically catfish today, with Matt Roberts, research coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. There's still time to work in a phone call if you'd like. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 and I just got an email from law enforcement, and they said it is illegal to possess any game or fur bear in Mississippi, no matter the origins. So even if it comes from a captive-born facility that have the skunks, you need to call the Department of Wildlife. You would have to get some kind of a permit. special permit to be able to do that. So okay. All right. That's why we don't see a lot of those in Mississippi, I guess. I've seen them in Texas, but yeah. I wonder if there's any way to de descent a skunk. I mean, sure, I there are. Okay. Yeah, because that would be about the only way I would even think about having one. And if the listeners know of a vet that will do it, come give a call. But we're we're not. We <laughs> You're not in that business. Not even outside. Troy yeah. says, "Don't bring them in yeah. <laughs> Got some calls to get to. Again, we'll start in Jackson. Nancy's on the line. Good morning, Nancy. Go ahead. Okay. Um, excuse me. Uh, we just got a new puppy about six weeks ago and have just discovered this week after four skin scrapes, they're thinking, even though they've not seen any mice, that he has red mange based on other symptoms. So they're going to start treatment for that. But, of course, we're devastated by that diagnosis. Do you? Can you just give me some more information and... What do you think about the prognosis? Okay, several things with that. Number one, red mange is demodectic mange, uh, which is caused by demodectic mange mite. Uh, Not unusual. How how much area is covered on this puppy? It's predominantly his leg and his head. Okay, and there's an off-label use of a drug which works exceptionally well. Uh, Brevecto, which is a flea and tick uh, product. You might talk to your vet about that. I don't know what plan of course of action they've laid out for you. Okay. But uh, we've had great success with that. As I said, it's off-label. It's not, they don't have it on the label, but uh, it does work, and we see a fair amount of uh, both sarcoptic and demodectic mange. Uh, did, did they tell you what kind of treatment uh, they were going to use? We're, um, we're starting with a DF and okay. I'm sorry, I don't have it in okay. front of me, so I don't know the name. Well, uh, I would definitely ask your vet about using one of the uh, oral medications like Brevecto. Uh, I, in fact, to, I think she did mention that. Yes. He is um, only about uh, four months old, so I think she said he needed to get a little bit older. Is that your understanding? How much does he weigh? How much does a puppy uh, weigh? About 10 pounds. It's a uh, Jack Russell. Yes, I would dose him according to the weight, but this, again, is off-label, but I have used it in dogs 
uh, that young or younger. But talk to your vet, and if the vet says, wait, uh, certainly I understand. But I'll be honest with you, the dips take a long time for those to take effect as well. So uh, just have a good discussion with, with your veterinarian about that. All right, okay. Nancy, thanks for your call. Uh, Brandon is on the line, and you're next, Brandon, on the air. Go ahead, please. Okay. Um, I have a question regarding the evolution relationship between the mad toms and the larger species of catfish. Did the primitive mad toms evolve bigger to become the big catfish, or was it the other way around where ancestral catfish got smaller and it became the mad toms? Okay, so um, if we're we're speaking in terms of of what uh, what's more ancestral or or more derived or, or coming later, um, the the mad toms are are considered to be the the more um, derived uh, or or um, coming along later uh, than the big three or the bullheads, let's say. Um, so, so, uh, a more, uh, advanced, uh, version, I guess you would say. All right. Uh, Brandon, thanks for that call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio, visiting today with Matt Roberts, research coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, talking today about fish. We've been talking mostly about catfish, and you mentioned, uh, Matt, that, uh, some of them get quite large. Uh, are there other monsters in Mississippi waters that you might could mention for us? Hmm. I like to stay away from the word monster. Um, uh, we don't – I don't think we have any fishes in the state that, that really pose uh, an imminent danger in terms of like a, <laughs> like a uh, – maybe like a shark attack, for example. Not freshwater-wise, um, but um, kind of uh, pretty awesome, awe-inspiring in, in appearance is the alligator gar. Mm-hmm one of my favorite species and uh, they just they look prehistoric uh, and they grow to very large sizes actually um, if you come to the museum and, and uh, hanging directly above our Pearl River tank is uh, and we're still researching this but as far as we can tell um, it is uh, a replica mount of the largest in terms of weight um, alligator gar known to science and that uh, that fish came in at 327 pounds hmm. uh, eight feet seven inches in length wow and um, we were interested in how old this fish might be and uh, fish have a structure uh, in their semicircular canals in their ear canals um, a little stone that actually floats in the fluid of the canals um, that that grows with the fish, and this structure is called an otolith, and it, the otolith can be extracted, and um, much like if you uh, cut down a tree, you can section the otolith, and it has rings that represent uh, each year of the fish's life. So alternating dark and light bands are kind of like a uh, a warm season band and a cold season band, and you can count these and get the age of the fish. And uh, what we did was uh, have three uh, independent agers uh, count the rings, and and uh, they all came in at ninety five plus years mm. age on this fish, mm. which um, 
looking at the the literature that existed on on alligator gar previously um the the known age had topped out at around 40 years so this this really opened our eyes and you can see that fish at the natural science absolutely museum look still. up when yes, you go to the, the aquariums yeah <laughs> Also, one of my favorite parts of the museum is, are the aquarium uh, because you can see uh, each of the tanks has uh, a representation of different parts of Mississippi. So if you want to get a good understanding of the variety of fish that you can see in the state of Mississippi, uh, that's a great place to go. And again, uh, just a number of aquaria. Uh, I think I've, we've had that discussion before. But anyway, <laughs> one of the things that you might want to check out at the museum. That's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Funded provided in part by generous contributions from listeners like you. If you need to hear today's show or a previous show, one way to find it is to go to mpbonline.org slash creature comforts. You can also subscribe to the podcast using any of your podcast apps. Our show is produced by Java Chapman. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Harfield, and our guest Matt Roberts, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned because up next, it's MPB's Season Pass with Jay White. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio.